Welcome to this week's episode of the North Bible Church Podcast. Now, let's join our pastor as we open God's Word together. When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you've set in place, what is man that you would be mindful of him? And the son of man that you care for him. But he does. Some of you have come here today and uh, you uh, maybe don't feel that. You come with more questions uh, than you have answers. Uh, Maybe you don't really know if God knows or if God cares. Uh, And and that's what we're going to talk about. Uh, I want you to know that both are true, that God does know and he does care. Uh, So, as we begin this series on the first 11 chapters of the book of Genesis, would you join me in prayer, please? Father, thank you for this morning. Thanks for the worship. Thank you for the music, the the lyrics that touch our hearts, Lord. Uh, Thank you for this time that we've had to uh, pray for Hope House and recognize them and and to bless our students and send them their class and all the things that have gone into this. And now, Lord, I pray that you would that you would open our hearts and our minds to what you have from your word for us this morning. I pray, Lord, that you would that you would cause any distractions to go away, that we might really be able to, to take to heart what you have for us. Uh, Lord, that we would hear your word and Lord, that you would speak through it into our minds and our hearts today. So we commit this time to you. We thank you, Lord. We give you praise in Jesus' name, amen. Well, I hope you're ready for this uh, and watch how it comes together as as we walk through these 11 chapters in Genesis and uh, we're doing this to learn more about God. Uh, We're doing this and there may be some surprises in here uh, for you and I may not talk about some things that are hot buttons uh, for you, but what really matters, what we're really trying to talk about, what we're really trying to understand is, is what God wants us to hear, what God wants us to know, and uh, we're gonna take this series right up to this thing we call Christmas, right? Right up to Advent. Uh, we're, we're gonna be in the book of uh, Genesis, the first 11 chapters, which t- tells this huge story uh, about God and God's love for us. Um, we believe that this is God's word and, and we really trust the scriptures. And, um, uh, and just to help you a little bit with that, there's, a, there's an insert in your bulletin this morning that gives you a little bit of a synopsis of how we got the Bible, uh, why we believe the Bible's true. Uh, but it's bigger than that because you really can't explain something that's so big and so powerful. It's, it's kind of like this idea of Genesis 1 that we're gonna talk about this morning that God loves us so much that he communicates with us and, and he wants us to know him. He wants us to understand him. So let me give you the, the big idea this morning that we're going after is that the God of the universe, the, the God of creation wants a relationship with you. And that's what he's helping us understand. That's what he's giving us in Genesis the first chapter. It's the beginning of everything. It's the beginning of Holy Scripture. The book of Genesis is listed as one book, but if you studied it a little bit, you would notice that the first five books of the Old Testament, uh, called in Hebrew called the Torah, uh, which literally means teaching uh, or um, 
uh, or hitting the mark, actually, literally, uh, is the, the name of the first five books. But it was originally one book that's been broken up into five um, just to help us to understand it, to help us to read it. And then the Greeks came and gave it a different name. They called it the Pentateuch. It's, they're both the same thing. One is the Hebrew, one is the Greek. Uh, the, the Hebrew is hitting the mark or the teaching, and the Pentateuch uh, simply means five books. And so we have this one book that's been broken into five books, then we are gonna be looking at the first part of that. And the big idea that Moses understood uh, and the, those that helped him in writing this understood is that God wanted a relationship with his people. That's what he was trying to get across. That's what we're gonna try to get across in this because I know that when you think about Genesis and you think about creation, all kinds of things come to mind and all kinds of arguments and all kinds of stuff that, and. and and we're just, that's just not what Genesis is about. Genesis is about God wanting a relationship with us. And so Genesis, the first chapter, uh, the first verse says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Let me give you a couple of insights here. The very first thing is that in the beginning, God. Okay, so this is about God. And there's a tendency, again, for us to want to make this about us somehow. We, we just have this incredible, it's a wonderful gift that we can take everything around us and turn it into about us. And that this is about God. This is what God wants us to understand. This is what God uh, wants us to know. So in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And I would argue that the entire Bible is built on those 10 words. In the beginning, God created in the heavens and the earth. I would also argue that all of reality is built on those 10 words, that in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. God wants us to know about that. And, and if you go back again and do a little language study, what you get is this idea of heavens and earth, that that phrase uh, could also be translated the totality. In the beginning, God created the totality. Uh, in the beginning, God created everything. And so this is literally the beginning of everything. In the beginning, God created everything. It's his. It belongs to him. He did it. And he did it for a very specific reason. Now, it goes on to say in verse two that the earth was without form and void and darkness was over the face of the deep and the spirit of God was hovering uh, over, the, over the waters, over the face of the waters. And I love this word, hovering. It's, it's the idea of the spirit of God was hovering over the waters. You know, the next time that this word is used is in Deuteronomy, the 32nd chapter, the 11th verse, and, it's a, and it tells about a mama, uh, mama hawk hovering over her nest. And, and we get this picture that somehow this is a very personal passage. This is a very personal thing. That, that God's speaking in really personal terms to us, that, that the Spirit of God was hovering like a mama eagle over her nest, uh, over the waters, over the beginning of creation. The earth was out form and void. The first three chapters, uh, or the, I'm sorry, the first three days of the creation account here are about the form. It's called the tohu. And it's, it's God creating form, God starting creation. The second three days, uh, the, the, the last three days are about the bohu, the void, that God then fills his creation with, uh, with everything, that the waters part, that we have day and night, we have all of these things, that God creates this, God forms this, and then God rests on the seventh day. We'll talk about that next weekend. Verse three says that God said, let there be light, 
and there was light, and then God said that, uh, that the light was good. And I love this idea that what does God say after he creates light? That's good. What does he say after he does his next part, act of creation? God called the, the light day and the darkness night, and there was evening, and there was morning uh, of the first day. And, and every step of the way in God's creation, he finishes it with, with and that was good. And until he gets to creating man, and he says, That's just, that was reasonably okay. Um, right? And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have to add to that one to make that really good, right? But God says that it's good. That here, here's, here's the idea, that God took delight in his creation. That God gave himself a high five when he created light. That, that, that God sort of gave a woo-hoo when, when he made the earth, when he made the vegetation, when he put the sea creatures in the water, when he put the birds in the air. God said, this is awesome, this is good. He celebrated, he took joy in his creation. This is good. So the first question that people typically ask about Genesis 1 is, how? How did God create the heavens and the earth, right? And we get, we get really caught up in this whole how question, and, and, it, and it, then it divides people because then one, you know, people have their different ideas of how God created the heavens and the earth. And I was actually, it was a meeting at a different church, thank goodness, and um, there was a person up talking about this idea of creation, and, and, and he uh, actually had the audacity to, to suggest that maybe God took millions of years, you know, that he created life, and then he took millions of years for it all to form and take shape and all of this. And there was another group of people in the room that stood up and kind of stomped their feet and, and stomped out in anger because they were people that thought God did it in one day, and these are people that think God did it in millions of years, and I'm angry at them, and they walk out of the room, and then what does that prove? What does that do for anybody? What's that do for the church? What's that do for people that, that we can do those things that divide us like that because we get so focused on the how? We'll talk about this a little bit more in a second, but uh, here's, let me give you the big idea that we, as we read Genesis 1, it's not about the how, but it's about the why. The question that we need to ask ourselves is why did God create the heavens and earth? Why did God create everything? And that's what we're going to look at. And yeah, we'll give some suggestions as to how, but the real big question is the why, that everything was created by God and everything comes from God, and so the Bible begins to give us a few answers of why God would do that, and Moses understood this. Moses and the people helped him that God did it because he's trying to communicate to us that he, the God who created everybody, uh, everything and everyone, wants a relationship with us. That's the why. It's personal. Now, consider Christ's words in John 17, 24. This is pretty powerful. It says, Father, Christ's prayer, his high priestly prayer, Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me may be with me that where I am uh, to see, that where I am to see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. Jesus is making an amazing claim here. Jesus is saying, I was there in the beginning. 
That, that this idea of God, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit has always been with us. In fact, this word that's used in, in the beginning, God, is a word Elohim in the Old Testament, and it's a plural word, and it refers to the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, that Christ was there. And so as we look at Genesis all the way to Revelation, we see, it's, we're gonna see that this all points to Jesus that this is all leading us to understand who Jesus is, that if you wanna know what God looks like, you look at Jesus. If we wanna know how God thinks, if you wanna know how God loves, you, you look at Jesus, that he is the picture of God for us, and it's gonna all point to him. So the world was out without form or void, and we have constantly been trying to figure out what that means, and God wants us to understand how he did it. He, he wants to not understand how he did it, but why he did it. What was God's purpose? What was he trying to get across? And again, we try so many different ways to understand the how. And if, if you think about this, if you think about the why, you think about creation, you think about Genesis, you, you can't, you, you can't uh, explain something that's personal in scientific language, right? It's really hard to explain love in scientific language, right? Have you ever tried that? It's, it's, a, it's tough to do. Uh, somehow God is, is telling us that he loves us, that he wants a relationship with us. In fact, there are some scholars that believe that Genesis 1, this, this creation account, was originally a song or a, a poem, that, that it was something that people would memorize, something that people would learn. If you think about the original audience, most of them were illiterate. They couldn't read. They've been slaves in Egypt for over 400 years, and so they are telling them the story of God's creation, but they're telling it in the context that God wants a relationship with you. They're not trying to explain it scientifically, and when we do, we just lose something in the translation because there are just things in our lives, there are things in the world that you can't, you can't explain scientifically. We're going to get some help here this morning. I wanted some help to understand this, so I'm asking Jeff and Sherry Posey if they'll come up, and, and uh, they're going to help us with this. They're, they're going to read, a, in fact, Jeff's going to read a love poem to us by E.E. E. Cummings, and, and then um, and then Sherry, who's a cardiovascular nurse, uh, just finished her master's degree, and uh, she's, she's gonna translate this a, a little bit for us and just help us to get a, a picture of this. So Jeff, buddy. Okay, full disclosure. Yeah, yeah, it's Okay, right. so I have a few stories I love to share about us as a couple, and Larry has now helped contribute to one of my favorites. So <laughs> we did this in the first service, and I'm maybe five words into this, and my lovely bride bursts out laughing. So those who know us know we're probably not the couple to sit around and read poetry at each other. So I will hold her hand, and we will make a commitment not to laugh and, and, and at least maybe not yes, cry. It's a love poem, It's Jeff. a love poem. I got it, Larry. Seriously. He wants me to make eye contact. No, this is going to be hard. Okay. <laughs> I carry your heart with me. I carry it in my heart. I am never without it. Anywhere I go, you go, my dear. And whatever my is dear. Come on. You can do better than that. Sorry. Okay. I fear no fate, for you are my fate, my sweet. I want no world, for beautiful you are my world, my true love. And it's you are whatever a moon has always meant, and whatever a sun will always sing is you. Here is the deepest secret nobody knows. Here is the root of the root and the bud of the bud and the sky of the sky of a tree called life, which grows higher than a soul can hope, or a mind can hide, and this is the wonder that keeps the stars apart. I carry your heart, 
I carry it in my heart. That's good. I carry your heart. That hollow muscle pumping the blood through your circulatory system? By rhythmic contraction and dilation with me. And since then, my dopamine pathways have been permanently activated. I am constantly in a state of confused abashment. I have hypermnesia regarding you, and I never experience the unpleasant emotional state consisting of psychological and psychophysiological responses to a real or imagined external threat or danger. That's good, thank you very much. You kind of get the idea, right? Thank you guys very much. I bet you didn't read it like that when you were dating, Jeff, you know? No, but here's, here's the point. It, it, sometimes we need help in this, but there, there are certain things in life that you just can't explain scientifically, right? There are certain things in life that you can't communicate scientifically. It just is. We, you, you can't communicate love. It's just something bigger. It's something different. How about that? You can't, you can't explain scientifically why first responders head into the danger while everybody else is coming, running away from the danger. You, you can't explain that scientifically, but you know that it's true, that you know that's happening. This is what God is wanting us to understand, that we'll always be limited in how we can explain his creation scientifically. Uh, it doesn't mean that science is bad. It doesn't mean that we don't uh, believe science. It just means that we'll never uh, be able to completely understand it, completely communicate it, uh, because words just don't do it justice. Uh, words aren't enough. Um, and uh, so uh, I have these glasses here. Uh, and you, guys, you guys look better all of a sudden. But um, they're progressives. Anybody know what, anybody wearing progressives this morning? All right, okay, got a few of, you know, a few brave people. So when you get progressives, they're bifocals without lines. And so they, they progressively change so that you can see distance and you can read with them. And so when you first get them, uh, it's frightening, right? I mean, because you're, you don't know how to go downstairs, you're trying, how do I look? Uh, driving, you know, you're trying to see and you're trying to read the dash and you're trying to read the street signs and the stoplights and your head's constantly doing this. And, and it's really intimidating and frightening. And then something happens because science has created these progressive lenses that are spectacular. They're amazing. I don't get it how it all works, but it does. But somehow then my, I put them on and my brain begins to translate it in two weeks' time. All of a sudden, I would put my glasses on, I wouldn't think about it. I could, I could see distance, I could read, I could drive my car, I could walk downstairs, I could do all of those things because my brain translated it. Again, it, it, science is awesome. Science created these lenses, but science didn't teach my brain how to use them, that there's just something made in us that's bigger than us. It's bigger than our understanding, but it works, and it's a miracle. And it's God saying, I am so much bigger than you can imagine. I'm so much bigger than, than, than you can even dream. I can do these things. And, and so when science, uh, and again, I'm not anti-science, I'm pro-science, I love my glasses, but when science tries to eliminate God from the equation, uh, ultimately, we're not gonna like the results that we get. Um, here's, uh, 
Richard Dawkins, one of the most famous atheists who's written a lot and you know, lots of people read his stuff and follow him. Here's, here's what he said, in the universe of electrons and selfish genes, blind physical forces and genetic replication, some people are going to get hurt. Uh, other people are going to get lucky and, and you won't find any rhyme or reason in it, nor any justice. Do you hear what he's saying? He's saying if, if this is all a genetic accident, if this is all uh, sort of random, then some people are going to be born uh, strong and healthy and with all of the tools that they need, and some people are going to be born weak and without all of the tools, and it's just tough luck. It's just bad news uh, for the person that doesn't have all the tools, have everything they need, and, and he goes on to say this, that the universe that we observe has precisely the properties that we should expect. If there is at the bottom, and then we have the quote, no design, no purpose, no evil, no good, uh, nothing but pitiless indifference. And if we take God out of the equation, uh, eventually that's where we end up, with pitiless indifference, because it's just all an accident, it's just all a mistake. That's the logical conclusion. If you're saying everything is an accident, there's no right or wrong, the conclusion is that only the strong should survive, only the strong really belong, and if this was uh, not true, uh, Dawkins says that we would be overpopulated and dying. And, uh, and so this isn't to say we throw out our science books. Uh, again, I love science and technology, but it's science can't tell us when a person is a person. There's something bigger going on than that. So I have this other thing that I found, um, and it's the uh, teleological uh, argument. And uh, so an, another uh, guy, a guy named Roger Penrose, who's a famous British mathematician, and I asked one of my buddies who's a PhD in mathematics uh, to explain this to me, and he said, those are really big numbers. So here's what we have. Roger Penrose, a famous British mathematician and a close friend of Stephen Hawking, wondered about this question of the randomness uh, of the accident uh, of creation and, uh, and the conditions of the Bing, Big Bang. And according to Penrose, the odds against such an occurrence, this accident, uh, this randomness, is the order of 10 to the power of 10 to the 123rd to 1. Okay, so that's a, if, in case you wondered, that is a really big number. Um, he says uh, that it's hard to even imagine what this number means. In math, the value of 10 to the 123 means 1 followed by 123 zeros. Uh, this is, by the way, more than the total number of atoms, which are 10 to the 79th power, believed to exist in the whole universe. But Penrose's answer is fa f um, vastly more than this. Uh, it requires 1 to the 10 to the 123 zeros. So, or consider 10 to the third means 1,000. Uh, 10 to the 10 to the third uh, is a number that is followed by 1,000 zeros. If there are six zeros, it's called a million. If there are nine zeros, it's called a billion. If there are 12, it's called a trillion, and so on. And there's not even a name for the number that it would take to make this um, accident happen. Uh, there's not enough numbers, uh, there's not even a name for the number of 10 to the 123rd power. In practical terms, the probability theory, according to the prob probability theory, the odds of less uh, than 1 to 10 to the 50th power equals zero probability. 
Penrose's number is more than a trillion, trillion, trillion times less than that. In short, Penrose's number tells us that the accidental or coincidental creation of our universe is an impossibility. And here's an interesting quote by Penrose, who's allegedly an atheist. He says this, this now tells how precise the creator's aim must have been, namely to an accuracy of one part in 10 to the 10th to the 123rd power. This is an extraordinary figure. One could not possibly even write down, uh, write the number down in full in ordinary denary notation. It would be followed by uh, it would be one followed by 10 to the 123rd successive zeros. And even if we write a zero on each separate proton and on each separate neutron in the entire universe, we could throw in all the other particles for good measure and we would fall short of writing the, down the figure needed. That it was no accident, that it was not a random thing, that God did it, but what really matters is why he did it. And why he did it is you. Because God wants a relationship with you. He did it for you. He wasn't trying to communicate this. He wasn't trying to help us understand this in scientific terms or, or in terms that, because we, we live with such fear sometimes, right? We, we think, what if I'm wrong? And, and, and what, what, if I, what if I try to explain this to somebody and they just shoot me down and they give me all, and, I'm, and, and, and what if I think it's a six-day creation and, and somebody makes a fool on me because they think it's this? And what if I do, and we worry about all of those things and we get caught up in all that and suddenly what happens is that all becomes a, about us and, and when, we take, when we take the miracle of creation out, we begin to create God in our own image. We begin to try to understand God in ways that we want him to be. And what God is trying to help us to understand is that I am so much bigger, I am so much greater, I'm the God who created everything and you can't even begin to understand how and why I did it, but let me help you to understand that I did it so that I could have a relationship with you, that I love you and I created you to have a relationship with you. And that's what God is after in our lives. Uh, here's a great quote by Stephen Hawking based on all of this stuff. He said, the remarkable fact is that the values of these numbers seem to have been very finely adjusted to make possible the development of life. That, that these numbers, these, these things are so finely adjusted, they're so fine-tuned that life comes out of that, that it's not random, it's not an accident, and it just, it creates such a conundrum for those who would choose not to believe in the existence of God because they keep coming back to the impossibility of what God has done. And this, uh, another scientist, this quote in this article says that, uh, he said, it's almost like the universe knew we were coming. That's what it feels like. That's what creation feels like, that, that, that the universe somehow knew we were coming. Well, of course it did, because God created everything. And my favorite quote comes from another British scientist, Terence McKenna, and he says this, that modern science is based on one principle. Give us one free miracle and we'll explain it from there. <laughs> Give us one free miracle and we'll explain it from there. And of course, we do that to God all the time, right? Okay, God, I got it from here. I'll take it. Well, that's what science can do. Give us one free miracle, and we'll take it from there. So here, here think about this for a minute, okay? The, the God who created everything created it to have a relationship with you. 
He, he didn't create it so that we could wax eloquent on his creation. He, he, he didn't create it so that, so that we could describe it in scientific terms, that we could describe something that's indescribable. He, he, he didn't do it so that we could have the best argument uh, about the existence of God and, and creation. He did it because he loves us. He did it because he wanted a relationship with us. That's God's purpose, that's God's goal, that's what this is for. And as we look at the book of Genesis, as we look at this creation story, the big idea, the message that God wants to communicate is that I've done all of this for you. It's all for you. It's because I wanted a relationship with you. Don't forget what really matters. Read the Genesis story and be reminded that God did all of this for you. At every step in creation, God said it is good. So here we go. And I, I know that for many of you this morning, it doesn't feel like it's good. But God doesn't stop in Genesis 1. Here's the beauty of the story that, that what we're reading in Genesis 1 is going to carry through all the way to the end of Revelation, all the way to the, the, to the final, uh, final words in the Bible. And we know that God isn't finished. We know that there is a longer story. We know there is more about what God has promised and what God has said and that God is keeping his promises. The whole Bible is about how God creates us, how God loves us, and how God keeps his promises to us. And the God that we're looking at in Genesis 1 is going to be the God who says, I'm going to make all things new. I'm going to make all things right in the end, that that's my promise. And from beginning to the end, it's about God having relationship with you about God caring for you. He can hear my heart beating. He can hear my spirit screaming. The God of creation still amazes me. You wanna know what the end of the end is? There's an eternal God for whom creation was effortless, as according to this one scholar, Gordon Wenham, for whom creation was effortless, totally free, and in unbound creativity, God did all of this. He's big enough for my problems, but this eternal, transcendent God loves me so much that he cares about my problems. Who am I that God would be mindful of me? The God who created all things knows my heart, he knows my thoughts, he knows my fears, he knows what I, what I need, and he cares about those things. I'm the sinful but forgiven, I'm the prodigal that for reasons I'll never understand, God has welcomed home. Genesis 1 isn't going to answer all of your scientific questions, though it does give you some of the biggies. And, and remember that God did all of this for a reason, and that reason is you. It's you. God wrote this in love to begin to show us that I'm doing all of this to have a relationship with you. And if God did all of this to have a relationship with us, then we probably ought to pay attention to it. We probably ought to take it seriously. God expresses his profound joy in creation. He says, this is good. And God expresses his love for us in giving us and creating all of this. He says, I did this for you, and it's good. Who am I? that God is mindful of me. I'm the broken who God has mended. I'm the sinful one who God has forgiven. And I'm the lost who's been found. Let's pray.
Lord, thank you. Thank you for your word, and Lord, thank you for this reminder that that the big idea of creation is that you did this for a relationship with us, Lord, that you did all of this for us, that in spite of our brokenness, in spite of our doubts, in spite of our fears, all of those things, God, you created this and you said it is good and you did it because you love us and to have a relationship with us. And so, Lord... Help us this morning, help us to to transfer this idea from our head to our heart, Lord. Help us to make this real in our lives. Help us to appreciate and understand what it means to be loved by the God who created everything, the God who's given us everything, the God who loves us in spite of ourselves, Lord. And so we receive that this morning. And so we don't, we acknowledge, Lord, that we don't always feel it. We acknowledge, Lord, that things aren't always right. And yet, Lord, we, we know that you are trustworthy and we can put our trust and our hope in you because of what you've done, because of who you are. And so, Lord, I ask, I ask, Lord, that this morning that you would give us such a sense of your grace, that you would give us a sense of your peace, uh, Lord, that comes from knowing how much you love us that comes from knowing how big and how great you are, that you created everything, that nothing exists except through you. And Lord, we receive that this morning and we thank you. And we thank you, Lord, that we are the recipients of your love. And Lord, we'll be careful to give you the praise and the honor and the glory in Jesus' name. In just a moment, we'll rejoin our pastor for today's closing thoughts. But first, we wanted to thank you for tuning in. North Bible Church is located in Scottsdale, Arizona and exists to equip all generations to love God, love one another, and love the world. For more information about North, please visit our website at northbiblechurch.com. Now, some closing thoughts from our pastor. As always, um, we'll have uh, prayer partners in the corner, if any of you would like prayer this morning, uh, they would love to pray with you and, and for you. And then um, prayer table in the back that you can write down your prayer requests and uh, we'll be praying with you starting first thing tomorrow morning. The staff and our prayer team and all through the week uh, will be uh, uh, holding you in prayer. So I encourage you to take advantage of those opportunities uh, for prayer. And, and this is my prayer that when we understand that God did all of this for us. When, we, when you understand God did all of it for you, that, that all you can do is stand in awe in his presence. The God who created everything loves you. He knows you. And in my case, he loves me in spite of knowing me, which is a good thing, right? All right, and I love you guys. I hope you have a great day. God bless. Thank you for joining us for this week's message. North Bible Church is located in Scottsdale, Arizona and exists to equip all generations to love God, love one another, and love the world. For more information about North, please visit our website at northbiblechurch.com.